Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the man who moves markets is back. JP Morgan's Marco Kalanovic says we are heading higher from here, and there are two sectors that can help you catch this rally. He will explain. Plus, the parade of Tesla executives marching out the front door continues as the company's general counsel calls it quits after just two months. So what does that mean for the stock? We've got the details. But first, we start off with the material world. Materials, the best performing sector today and in the past week as the whole commodity complex is on fire. Gold hitting its highest level in nearly a year. Copper, palladium also rallying. And check out some of the biggest winners. Freeport, Mac, Newmont Mining, Dow DuPont all jumping this week. So with fears of a global slowdown still swirling, even the Fed today said that growth here in the U.S. will slow in 2019. Why are we seeing materials rally? What can this mean for the markets, Guy? I think a couple different reasons. Maybe one of them is people think, yeah, we're at this slowdown, but the time to buy these stocks are when things are slowing down, hoping for the, I guess, reacceleration, which could come on the back of a China deal, which, quite frankly, I don't think is happening anytime soon. But I think it's more in terms of what's going on with gold. I'll let Pete and Tim and Karen talk about Freeport and U.S. Steel. But gold market's been had a bid to it now for the last month, month and a half. And a name like Newmont Mining, which we've talked about now for the last couple of weeks, we're talking about a stock that is its highest level now since August of last year. I think gold's at the highest level of the last 11 months. There's clearly something going on. I happen to think the move in gold is all predicated on the fact that central banks globally have done an about-face, more so than global growth, but I'll let others decide. Others? Well, others being <laughs> myself, I, I think what's going on is the lack of volatility that you're seeing across asset classes is pushing people into riskier assets. And I think if you look at bond volatility, you're actually, between what happened in the last six weeks, effectively, we're, we're, we're at October 4th levels on the VIX right now. But more importantly, bond vol, uh, we've had the biggest decline since we had since 2013. What that does is it allows people to move out the risk curve. And I, I'll let Marco, who's coming on later, talk about the, the quants and the hedge funds because they do a great job with this. But the bottom line is this is positioning. You've Funds have been putting more of these trades on in a lower volatility environment. And the dollar's been sideways. We basically have a green light that says the Fed cannot be raising rates anytime soon. That's great for commodity prices because they're priced in dollars. And the sense is that that will be bullish. So when you're talking about moving out on the risk curve, though, are you talking about going into the material stocks or are you talking about the commodities themselves or both? Material stocks. I think you have it. Yes, I think that's clearly what people are doing. The commodities have been somewhat range bound, although crude broke out. Material stocks and and, and some of the energy stocks. I mean, we're seeing more of a bid more and more, Mel, across that that entire area there. As a matter of fact, one of the ads I had today was Tech Resources. I got out of Freeport Mac. I'm probably out way too early. There's probably more upside coming in that that name. But you still got to look at some of these energy names as well. I mean, I'm looking at energy and I continually see more option paper coming into those various names, all levels. The high beta names, the low, the XLE, the Exxons, but also something like a CVE and some of these names that aren't really looked at very often and some of those names that might be able to accelerate to the upside. We're seeing a lot of different paper moving more and more towards these space. Why exactly? I'm not positive whether or not it's on the risk curve or whether or not it's a dollar play or whatever it might be. Could even be the China play just saying, you know what, that's the space that's going to react because it hasn't enough yet. 
But we are seeing a lot of paper out there. Karen? I, got, I don't really have any ma- direct material exposure. I got to tell you, I'm very confused by the tea leaves, right? You've got a lot of completely diametrically opposed pieces of data. Yeah. I mean, okay, so we have this big commodity rally. That's sort of interesting, right? However, look at where rates are. Look at where inflation is. Look how dovish the Fed believes they need to be, not only here, around but the around world. the world, right? And then we got stocks that are really anticipating a deal with China, which I actually believe will happen and position somewhat that way. But a lot of those things don't make sense to me. They don't go together. And maybe it's just like he points out, maybe it's people thinking this, it will turn. It's terrible now, but it will turn eventually. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of I it, mean, to be honest. If you think honest. stocks should go higher, why should you believe in a rally of gold, of all things? That's, well, that's, <laughs> the, that's a conundrum. I think that's what Karen's talking about. Yeah, I mean, there are right. a lot of diametrically opposed, a lot of, a lot of things that don't make sense right now. Again, I think gold's moving higher for a very specific reason. I think the gold market is catching on to the fact, to Tim's point, that our central bank has done an about-face, as have central banks around the world. And I think they're finding safety in gold. The rally in gold has been stealth, but it's been real. And when you see new mining move, you know, 25 3% every day now for the last week, I think it's telling you something. In terms of energy, quickly, I do think ExxonMobil has more room upside, and we've talked about that. But if you look at it, it's still in a pretty significant downtrend since the beginning of last year. So here's a stock that closed at $78.5 that could trade up to 82 and still be in a significant downtrend. I think that's what's going to so happen. So in terms of central banks finding safety in gold, and I don't want to get too far down the wonky Nor path. Nor do I. But they want to diversify their holdings away from currencies where they find volatility or I away believe from that's what? the case. And I want to talk again, but I'll say this. Central banks are buying gold at a record pace now over the last couple months. There's something to that. Well, I mean, $24 trillion, we talk, or 24% of the global uh, Bond yield out there, negative territory. I mean, central banks have to do what they have to do. Sneaky haircut by Guy Adami, by the way. Uh, and emerging markets are actually continue to outperform here. And if you think about it, we're actually challenging back up through the 200-day. If you look at a lot of these charts, if I was the chart guy tonight, I would tell you like a U.S. steel is now challenging to push north of the 200-day for the first time to the upside since back in 2017. So all these assets, they traded down, they consolidated, and they've now rebuilt a case that I think is something we haven't seen for two years in a lot of these stocks. And to Tim's point, by the the way, the emerging markets, that's another area where, and I know I'm bringing up options more than I usually would, but the EEM hits almost every single day. And they have been mostly correct yeah. for a long bullish time. Upside, activity. bullish activity, the FXI, the EEM, there's totally a lot of energy. And makes sense. It's the mo- I mean, it's one of the most crowded trades right now on right. Wall Street. Yep. And yet, it still continues to work. Because if you go back just a couple of weeks and you look at the EEM, where it was, and where you look at the options were, people have been betting on this, and they've been right. They just continue to roll, Mel. You see guys taking profits, but rolling up and rolling out and still looking for that same trade. It's just, it's odd to me. It's crazy. If all that is so, and it seems to be, right, why do we have a 10-year that's here? I mean, I, I don't It's something, something's amiss. I don't know what it is. You can't have stocks and bonds doing what they're both doing here. Bonds are telling you there's something very, very wrong. Right. Stocks are telling you there's something really, really very, very right. <laughs> and, and this takes you back to times in the market where essentially equities have been the only game in town. I hate to quote Tina Guy, but, you know, uh, you've so been, you shouldn't. Yeah, so I won't. All, all putting won't. all that together, I like what I own. <laughs> I got to own some puts here because and the VIX is relatively low. Right. And maybe something's really wrong. I don't know. But, but I got to have some protection. Ultimately. I do. I'm you always bullish. But you better raise a good point in terms of volatility. I mean, the VIX is, is so low right <coughs> it's now. It's come down from that area. Late December, we talked about it where it was in the 30s. I expected it to be here Six longer, somewhere above 20, maybe even, Mel. Here it is, 14, <coughs> 15, something like that. I mean, but 
we have crossed a lot of different barriers that were in front of us that we've done okay on. I mean, the government shutdown, that's no longer here. The Fed, people aren't as worried about what's going on with the Fed. Earnings season so far, overall, when you see all the beats and you see some revenue and you see some of the guidance that's come out of some of these very big names, it sort of gets everybody sort of riled up and I've got to get myself back in here. I see value here in a lot of various things. You lean names. bullish as well, I despite have, what I, the bond market is telling you, despite what the gold market may or may not be Well, I will tell you this. I have flipped, you, though, because when I'll give you a real quickie. So I sold probably half my stock positions. At one point in time, just a week or two ago, I had seven option positions total. Now I've got 17. So what changed for me? Well, volatility as it has completely mm-hmm. fallen out. When you buy stocks and you can sell implied volatilities that are extremely high, you're giving yourself a great opportunity in front of you and giving yourself protection to the downside. Now, I think because volatility has gotten so much lower, you can either buy protection or you can just position yourself in the options and take the stock. Are you basically in the same positions except expressing those positions in options? Although I think I've found myself more and more leaning towards energy and tech lately. Like I have a lot more semis than I ever had before. So where are you in terms of this conundrum? I, well, I'm the other you side of the. Lean. I typically listen. I grew up in a Wall Street. What can go wrong will go wrong, and I've always yeah. been. I'm outspoken about that. I'm always a half-empty person. That's just the way I'm wired. But with that said, to Tim's point, quickly, think about U.S. Steel. Before President Trump started talking about tariffs, which was basically March or so of last year, this was a $45 stock in an environment where the steel business arguably had never been in a better place. The steel business hasn't fallen off a cliff. The stock's been cut in half. So if there is some semblance of a deal, it stands to reason that people are trying to get in front of it, which is why I think U.S. Steel is rallying. And I'll say what I've been saying for the last few weeks. Energy sector is the most short as it's been ever. Okay, so you have a case where positioning is is absolutely your friend here. Then the other part of the cyclicality is semis have outperformed the S&P. Semis are up almost 25 percent this year. They've crushed the S&P. In fact, they've been outperforming since effectively November 1. Um, What does that tell you about the worst we were for emerging markets, for the most cyclical, for the resources? They've been catching up and there's more to do. Okay. Our next guest says, do not fade this rally. Let's bring in the man who moves markets. JP Morgan's global head of macro, quantitative and derivative strategy, Marco Kalanovic. Marco, it's always great to have you. Thank you, Melissa. So we've been debating this sort of puzzle here on the desk. Uh, Why are markets going up in your view at this point? And why do you say, hold on, are are markets going to continue to rally even in the face Mm -hmm. of what seems to be a global synchronized slowdown? So markets are going higher uh, for one, because basically at the end of December, positioning was at the rock bottom, you know, s- sort of all-time bottom. So people did not own any risk, you know, and New, Year's co- New Year comes and people want to put money to work. Uh, well, first they want to cover the shorts, you know, there were a lot of shorts, shorting back in December, you know, so some short covering, gradually putting uh, money to work. Uh, a little bit sort of digesting the new Fed, you know, and I said the Fed has turned already their tone in November, November 16, November 28, and, you know, continuing to reinforce that message. So there is definitely a shift on, on a central bank side. We are potentially getting closer to the, tr- uh, to the trade deal and declining volatility and decline what Tim said, declining volatility is basically pushing people out on a risk curve. You know, some of them purely programmatically, some of them more just people are more comfortable. If market sort of doesn't go up and down 5% every day, you're more comfortable to put on more risk. You know, like, so that's a confluence of factors. Uh, and we have been sort of uh, calling for that. Um, obviously, we had a very strong rally now, ja- uh, uh, January and, and February so far. So we do not think it can continue with that pace. You know, we do not think that it can go up every day, but we do think it can go up more, you know, because positioning is still relatively low. How will you know when positioning has reached what it should be? So, 
you know, so, so generally, uh, generally does overshoot as well, you know, like, so we can look at the percentiles, you know, so see historically, uh, you can look, for instance, at the beta of fund performance, you know, you can look at the sort of uh, uh, um, uh, net or gross balances in prime brokerage, you can look at the various different metrics. Um, uh, so, so simplest one is basically to look at the beta uh, of, of various hedge fund strategies, and that beta is now somewhere between 20th and 30th percentile. So call it lowest third, you know, um, uh, a few weeks back, it was pretty much close to zero, fifth or 10 percentile. So it's, it's actually ticking up higher, you know, so, so it's picking up the pace. Uh, but, you know, we would be worried, you know, when it reaches 80th, 70th, 80 percentile. So we can say it's high, right? Right now we can still say it's below average. So uh, again, absent some external shock, something unexpected, the tendency of market will uh, be to go higher, you know. And, and again, that doesn't mean that it goes up every single day or certainly this pace, right. you know, we cannot annualize this pace. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Uh, but we think it can, it can, uh, it can still move higher. Tim mentioned, Karen mentioned, 24% of sovereign bonds now negative yields. Does that mean anything or who's just sort of look past that? Well, you know, low equity positioning generally means high bond positioning, you know. So even if you look at the, some of the vol sensitive investors, their equity position is actually very low. Generally, that means their holding of bonds is pretty high. Same thing with trend. You know, trend actually across the globe, trend in equity is still negative. It's just turning positive, what Tim mentioned, you know. So, uh, and on the bond side, is very positive. So, so you have a lot of investors who are long bonds, you know, like, so we think this rotation will happen. Uh, so that's one reason why the bonds are not uh, reacting. The second is Fed central banks globally did turn a bit more dovish, you know, like, so, uh, you know, so that, that keeps uh, lid a bit on yields. Marco, for a humble guy who's usually right and therefore shouldn't have to be humble, you've been on this show, you've made some major calls, and I, I, I'm reading your note, mm-hmm. and, it, and you, you sound like people thought our level of 3,000 was outlandish, um, and you point to where you were right before. And the reason I bring that up, because mm-hmm. I would read from that, is that the market still is not positioned in this direction, and the pain trade is still higher. Talk about I, that. I think so. I think so. And, and again, the positioning is the indicator of that. Um, and, you know, obviously we need to see China, you know, progress on a trade with China. So, so they're obvious real catalysts, you know, and, and they're actually fundamentals. And these fundamentals have been mixed, you know. Um, um, now we do give preference to positioning and liquidity metrics uh, to fundamentals, you know, and we have a lot of historical examples. You know, for instance, in 2016, pretty much the whole year's, year earnings were wise lower, 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 and the market was going higher and higher, higher. So you can have this type of divergences which are driven by positioning, especially also if there's a, a tailwind from, from, from central banks, you know. So, uh, um, so, so yeah, we, we think it can, it can go higher. How do you think about uh, the slowdown that is happening around the world? And at what point do you say the slowdown that we're seeing around the world affects mm. the U.S. economy to the point where it overrides this positioning, absolutely. this very conservative position? You know, right absolutely. So, so, look, we are taking a bit of a bet or a view that recession will not happen in the U.S. You know, the way we look at the world, basically, U.S., we think the economy still has some momentum. It's slowing down, but it still has, we, we think, it we think it's, it's way above the stall speed, you know, like so. Uh, so we think U.S. can, can hold us uh, hold the cycle for maybe a few more quarters. China has been slowing down, but China is doing a lot of uh, measures, fiscal, monetary, regulatory, right? You know, so we are seeing some signs of, of, of inflection in China, you know? So again, it's a little bit of a leap of faith that we think that actually China will make this turn in, a, let's say, one quarter or two quarters, you know, like, so basically U.S. momentum sustain us until China makes a turn. And basically between U.S. and China, it buffers the Europe, which is disappointed. It's slowing down more, more than we uh, expected. Uh, so so that's, that's a bit of a view. Now, now, again, trade war is a big variable here because I think right. trade war hits the U.S., hits China. Suddenly, you know, suddenly you, you lose this pillar. Europe, again, there's a lot of 
political issues, you know, Brexit, elections, and stuff like that. So, so, so again, it boils down really, unfortunately, to this to this trade deal. You know, so if this trade deal for some reason is is falling apart, we would probably have to change our view entirely. Wow. And what about EU trade? Is that in there as well? Um, you know, so so e you mean EU uh, cars, tariffs, and stuff like that? Yes. Um, you know, it's. I don't have a very strong view. You know, my view is that you know we have election year next year, and I think we're foolish to kind of uh, provoke serious market turmoil at this point. But you never know. You know, like so we're kind of watching it. But right now, you know, a little bit as a Brexit and and, and these uh, car tariffs. You know, we we got a little bit tired of following it every day. So we're taking a bit of a leap of faith that between U.S. and China, we can kind of uh, weather the, the 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 cycle. Marco, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, Marco Kalanovic. What do you think, guys? Well, I mean, he listen, it's Tim's point. Marco's been right. So who am I to argue with him? And to Pete's point, I mean, technology really is a place that's somewhat been pretty safe over the last, you know, couple of weeks. You look at a name like Xilinx, for example. Stocks go from 90 to 120 in a straight line. Recently taken off the conviction bios at Goldman Sachs, but they raised the price target. So there's still room for growth here in a lot of these tech names, specifically some of these semis that we rarely talk about. Yeah, and I, 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 that's where I've gotten even more exposure. When we talk about some of the flipping around or whatever, I grab some Xilinx. I, I actually like that company a lot. I know you've been all over that guy, but AMD as well, Intel as well, I've added to that position. So I think there are different parts of technology and the semis that are, are, are really interesting, Mel, and some of them are very cheap. Even though, and Tim mentioned the big run out of the semis, they're still well off highs. When you look at a lot of these various names, they are not near the, the highs that they have been. So they've had a great run back, they trade cheap, and they still have room to the upside. But you have to believe that you have to lean bullish in yes. terms of how you view the globe, and you have to lean bullish in terms of how the U.S.-China trade Absolutely. talks oh, oh, that, There yeah. is no doubt that that is fully tied in. Absolutely. Yeah, but I would make an argument that the semis have gotten up to a level. If you look on the charts, they're about 2% away from level. They were bucking at really three or four times last year. And I would warn, look, tomorrow you've got PMIs out across Europe and Japan. They're not going to be good. Um, so you're going to get reminded. For every two steps forward you have in this risk trade, you have at least one back. Watch out for bad numbers tomorrow. All right, coming up, a winning streak warning. Stocks on track for nine weeks of gains in a row. But if history is any indication, the chart master says there might be trouble ahead. He will explain. Plus, more turmoil at Tesla. Elon Musk is still tweeting and executives are heading for the exit. So what is really going on with the electric vehicle maker? We've got the details. And later, Samsung launching the first ever foldable phone. We will explain why this break from the norm could be just the beginning of a major smartphone trend. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another pothole added to the already rough road for Tesla. The company's general counsel departing today after just two months on the job. He's the latest in an executive exodus that was extended into this year, including former CFO Deepak Ahuja, who announced his resignation less than a month ago. This, as Elon Musk's tweets, are in question once again after the Tesla CEO tweeted late last night saying the automaker would produce around 500,000 vehicles this year. 
Then he clarified the numbers and stated that total deliveries were still estimated at 400,000 for this year. Remember, the SEC ordered the company to monitor and review Musk's tweets following the infamous funding secure tweet this past August. Tesla, by the way, is down 9% this year. So the question here is, has anything really changed? Does the board seem to have any sort of control over the tweetage? Of Elon Musk. I hope not. Otherwise, they wouldn't have allowed him to tweet that and then to tweet a correction. So I think the board has no control whatsoever over him. I was Does wondering, he have control over himself? I, that's a great question also. I don't know. I think that I, maybe Larry Ellison, if you think about who on the board would be in a position to have some sway over Elon, to me it would be Larry Ellison, not Robin Denham, the new, the new uh, chairwoman of the board, right? I think that Ellison would, you know, he owns a billion dollars worth of stock. He's been, he's built a huge company himself. He's been a brash kind of executive. All the things that Musk would, you know, think is, you know, that it would appeal to him. But it seems to me the board has no control over him. To me, the board's number one most important job is hiring and firing the CEO. And I don't think they should fire the CEO. This is what you got. When you buy Tesla, if you don't know you have Musk still risk, a pre- here's the question: Would the, the stock SEC go up or down if Tesla, if uh, CEO, if CEO Elon Musk were removed? You know down, what? I mean, it would go down. Drop like yeah. I don't, I don't think the stock's price is indicative of anything here. Really? All right, let's be let's be clear. I mean, we've had the two biggest shareholders have cut their stakes in half. The Saudis have hedged out of it. Um, in the last couple of days, I mean, last night's tweet uh, panic was no different than anything we've ever seen. And it's a CEO that seems like he's unhinged. I, I'm just surprised. Well, why was that a tweet panic? Well, why I, does that indicate Why, why is he out there at all doing that? And, and why the is stock he, why wouldn't is, go collapse if he left? If he look, we, we, we saw during the indictment period or whatever, the, the charges period, that the, he has a major impact on the stock. My point is... Tesla's stock price does not reflect reality. In the last two weeks, we've had it. We've had the 10K come out. We had them basically extend and be in technical default on a term loan. I mean, you guys can think what you want, but I, I'm surprised that a lot of people are not responding to this, especially in the sell side community, because in fact, nobody's downgraded the stock at all. I think the most interesting thing is Catherine Wood, who sat right here from Ark Invest, and she was talking about that. One of the shareholders. Now she has trimmed back some, but I think it's really interesting because she talked about two things that really stand out. Forget the tweets. I mean, I think this is it moved the stock. Why forget it, though? Well, because look at what did the stock do today? Didn't, didn't but, do but, anything. But should the CEO be out there no, he changing his tone no and doubt putting that, out false data? No, 100% he should not be doing it. But let's just forget that because the impact is getting less and less and less from the tweets. That's true. Very much like the president. However, she talked about the, the battery cells, right, and, and how unique they are to Tesla. That's one thing. So that is something different. Everybody says, well, everybody makes electric vehicles and all the rest of that. I think the other thing that you brought up is this autonomous billions of miles of data that they've got. That has a value. And a $52 billion company, at some point in time, you always wonder, is this company ever something that is for sale? Is this something that somebody else would ever want to buy? And then all of a sudden you have to get rid of Elon Musk, which I think could happen. And I think that's something that could happen in the future. For more on Tesla and Elon Musk, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Sound the alarm. The chartmaster says this market is flashing a major warning sign. If history is any indication, he'll explain what has him so worried. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. And Samsung is doing just that, unveiling the first ever foldable phone. We'll tell you why you could be holding one soon, too. Much more Fast Money right after this. 
Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow surging off the December lows and on pace to lock in a nine-week winning streak. It is the longest since 1995, and while investors may see this as a sign of more gains ahead, our next guest says the rally may not be as bullish as you think. Carter Worth. Carter Worth. <laughs> it's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Hi. Right. So, look, any instance of great weakness often is punctuated by a rally. Any instance of great strength is often punctuated by a setback, a dip, a correction, call it what you will. Meaning this is an unusually sort of symmetrical V. And the issue is, now that we've done that, is this a point in which it likely presses higher or some sort of give back? So let's just put this in a statistical context and see what we can see. So if you look at the next table, um, eight weeks up in a row. We're now in the ninth week. We shall see what happens this week. But if you were to go and find all instances where the Dow is up eight weeks in a row and gains more than 10%, I mean, because you could be up a little bit and you haven't gone anywhere. That's only happened 13 times going back to the 1920s. That's a probability of occurrence of 0.2%. And let's look at what's happened as a statistical thing thereafter in those 13 instances. What's happened thereafter is as follows. One week later, down a little bit. Two weeks later, down a little bit. Three weeks later, down a little more, one and a half percent. Let's keep going. One month later, two months later, all sort of here. But the point is that you're likely to have a give back, and it's likely as ever right about now. Um, we've seen two or three two percent corrections, pullbacks, dips, sell-offs since the lows in December, and we're, we're set up for that sort of thing now. Um, in terms of really the most important thing is, is what to buy. I'm still very much in the safety camp, and I want to talk about utilities. Now, this is a near-perfect uptrend. Um, the entire bull market, which you can see here, from the 09 low, the actually, actually, and watch if I put in some drawings here. What this is, is a near, literally perfect. It has bounced off this line repeatedly, like clockwork, over and over and over and over. And we have made a new high each time. And it, it's my bet that we're going to make a new tie again before actually the S&P does, if at all. Now, let's talk about utilities as an investment. Here, going back to the prior bull market peak in 07, here, of course, utilities relative to the S&P. And one could say, well, see, that's the problem. Utilities don't keep up because they're low beta, they're a, they're a bond proxy. But here's the reality. If I make these both total return. This is just absolute. Now I'm going to switch it to total return. And what you have are the really good facts. 
that actually on a total return basis, utilities have paced the S&P with less volatility and less risk. And I think utilities are as good a place here and now as anything. Um, you know where the 10-year yield is. It's not signaling good things. Carter, why don't you come on over to the desk? Shelby will bring the chair in. Thank you. Thank you, that? Shelby. Carter, I mean, it's Carter. Oh, are you hungry? Uh, are you hungry? Hey, he's got a couple gummies. Nice. Got a snake and he got a couple gummies. Put these on your pillow when you go to hotels. Usually it's a chocolate. You're all set. You know, we're turn chatting down. with... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the turn down. <laughs> we're chatting with Bob Bassani yesterday, and he was, he was just going off a list of all these reasons why this rally looks very strong. The breadth is good. The new highs are true. great. But the question but is, why, can, you why does this going, override? can you keep going without some sort of dip, correction, pullback? And this is about where that happens. But I think the, the really telling thing is this. If you think about where we are now, today we return to, it's a Wednesday, yes? We return to the most critical Wednesday of the last six months. It was Wednesday, October 10th, and as you know, the Dow dropped that day, 832 points, the S&P 100 points. It was the worst one-day sell-off since 2011 for tech, and we've finally gotten back to that level, right? And the reality is that the scare on that day was that rates hit an all-time high for this cycle of 3.26%. And yet here we are, and rates are much lower, and yet the market is still struggling, really. The market should be much higher if you believe in the, the Fed model or, or, or you do your CAPM or whatever you want to play around with. Why aren't stocks much? The truth is the damage that was done was substantial. And while the ricochet is impressive, it seems to me it's impulsive, impetuous, and a little too steep, a little too clever, a little too much of a good thing. So um, you talk about an average return after, I think it was a month or... A, uh, I did about one the, week, two weeks. Right, but when you're getting into like the two and a quarter, down two and a quarter from where we are now, um, how, what were, the, that's the average. Right. On the wider ends of those kind of returns. It was one returns, or two that were up of the, of the 13, the rest were down. And so it, it was, it's, the odds of being up, which I didn't include there, were consistently around 30 to 35%, odds of being up, right? So... You know, I just, I think you, 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 you sell calls. I think there's an option show on Friday. You could do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the point is that it's, it's hot. Everyone knows that. You've got a lot of money drawn in. A lot of people are quite bullish. What does the chart of the 10-year yield look like? Well, that's a, 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 it's a disaster, right? I mean, I think bonds and utilities, I, I think TLT is a great buy. I think the gold, you guys are talking about gold. Gold's no joke. There's a lot of things going on that don't sort of yeah. confirm. And then there's this. And this is the, really, the, the, this is the tough part. Tech was, had that day, right, down f- almost 5%. Amazon, again, underperforming. Google, underperforming. They're just not working. Now, maybe they're going to come to life, but listen, it's got to happen pretty quickly. But Carter, if you look at the triple Qs, so as a technician, when you see that the Qs, eight of the last 11 sessions are basically at the 200-day, not breaking down, just kind of staying there. Is that bullish or negative or neither? It's sort of a re-rating. So the question is, if you have the sell-off and then you have the recovery, are you, are you sort of not back to where we were in October? It wasn't a particularly good situation in October, right? We had our worst, mm-hmm. worst October in, in a decade. And the recovery is, 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 is really, it just it makes me think of this. When you're hoping, it's hopeless. Yeah, it feels all so... Wow. It feels <laughs> so that like guy. everything's going to be I think he was looking fine. at you. Writing it. And, he wasn't looking at me. When you're hoping, <laughs> when you're hoping <laughs> it's hopeless. When you're hoping, it's, it's hopeless. And what about when you're hopeless, yeah. then? When you're hopeless, what do you yeah, do? Then well, get along. There's hope. <laughs> Maybe you sell calls. Uh, he is so full of great... <laughs> he's philosopher. Deep, deep thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's a philosopher. Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth. A couple so, things strike me. The XLU is it? I mean, XLU went from 57 yeah. before December down to 52, and where is it now? 57. That's a pretty significant move 
for that index in a short period of time. I'm not certain what it says. I think, to Carter's point, it says it yields continue to go lower. And I'll mention this. Uh, there was a great I Love Lucy episode where... Which one? I love I Love Lucy. The Friends of the Friendless. <laughs> I, I don't love, know that one. I Love Lucy. <laughs> well done. You don't remember the Friends of the Friendless? What, which, she has no. a big bass drum, and she's walking in a... No. <laughs> I like the one where she's eating the chocolate off the conveyor belt. Yeah, yeah that's... that's yeah. All right. The burlap dress one. Coming up, Boston Beer buzzing on the back of its earnings report and on a tear this year. But will the cannabis craze deal a sobering blow to the rally? We'll explain. Plus, Samsung unveiling its new foldable smartphone at an event today. Will the new bendable device break the competition? We'll put it to the test. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tilray soaring as it doubles down on the hemp hype with a $400 million acquisition. Earlier today in Paralunch, the CEO told me how the deal uh, will put it ahead in the race to get CBD products on the shelves. Take a listen. If you think about their supply chain, they have relationships with 30,000 acres of, of hemp grown by farmers. They have a state-of-the-art processing facility where they make these products. And then they have a distribution channel through... Uh, 13,000, the largest retailers in in the U.S. Uh, and our intent is to use that supply chain to help accelerate the CBD products that we will introduce by the summer uh, through that same supply chain. All of the retailers uh, are facing demand to, to supply and sell CBD products. Uh, and so this helps us speed up that, that process. We need to turn to our cannabis king, Tim Seymour, about this uh, CBD rush and whether there will be a lot more deals now uh, yeah. with the passage of the farm, farm bill. You have to give Tilray and Brendan Kennedy a lot of credit for not only taking a strategic plan, which is going at all the different verticals in the cannabis sector, but also then utilizing these guys have built brands or they want to build brands or they, they certainly are in the middle of building brands. And so CBD, which has got a federal footprint allowance at this point, means that they can take all of those brands and begin to start using them. They, they partnered with with Big Beer. They partnered with Big Pharma. They partnered with Big Alcohol. I mean, so so good for them. And the whole point is this is a CPG story. Hemp has rushed ahead on some level. It's not a bigger market. It's not a more interesting market medically, but on a wellness side, it clearly is. And, and that's something that people are, that perception needs no change. That, that's happening right now, and it needs some slight adjustment on the legal side. All right. And there are hemp products, which uh, he actually brought uh, uh, many of them, hemp hearts and hemp granola and all that. But there's also CBD food products, which are to come still. Uh, Pete, you, you're familiar with which could be a which could be an absolutely huge business, I think, going forward. But you know, there's a lot of approval still, and you guys had a great conversation about that whole thing today. And also, I think when you're talking about this whole topic, I, I think he was looking for distribution. That was a big mm-hmm. part of what today's tapping into that 300 plus million dollar I mean, deal was. You could find was. these products in Whole Foods and right. Trader Joe's. He said so. a couple of thousand different places when he across the United States and Canada. So there's there's a lot to be said for what this move really was. I find it curious. So they do a $300 million deal. Their stock goes up by $300 million. I don't know. It seems a little like funny money to me in some way. I guess. I I don't know. I mean, maybe it is that valuable that they can do that. It just, I was actually surprised like, that they use cash. I mean, a lot of people said they should just be using their shares as currency. Um, so, you know, good for the, uh, you know, that which was acquired, but also the fact that the company is putting cash to work when everyone thinks that they just have shares to work with. Yep. Quickly, tangentially, which uh-huh. is not an easy That's word to say word with a head cold. It's like a haiku <laughs> word. Tangentially. Not really. It's only for <laughs> not, anyway. Not good. 
Constellation Brands, pretty lousy day. Talked about the three to five year growth, not good. I mean, this stock obviously had a big bounce from the December lows, but it seems to be rolling over again. I mention it because I do think the cannabis industry is probably going to dig into what's going on in the spirits and in beer space. And the, despite the fact that Constellation has a big investment, these, these stocks are in trouble, and I think it's manifesting itself in STZ. Still ahead, a retail in the spotlight as investors await a flood of earnings reports in the next couple of weeks. We'll tell you what to expect. Plus, Samsung unveiling its new foldable phone at an event in California today. But with a nearly $2,000 price tag, will the phone live up to the hype? Find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Samsung unveiling its new smartphones today, hoping to recharge sales, including a glimpse of the highly anticipated foldable smartphone. Let's get straight to Josh Lipton, who's at the Samsung event in San Francisco. Hi, Josh. So, Melissa, uh, I can tell you we're here in the Samsung demo room after that keynote ended. Everybody flooded down here to check out the new hardware. Of course, a lot of buzz being generated about what you just mentioned there, that foldable phone, or what the company refers to as the Galaxy Fold. And so here's how this device works. When it's folded 4.6 inches, the company's saying it's small enough to fit in the palm of your hand, but unfolded 7.3 inches, two batteries, six cameras available on April 26th. You can understand why there would be a lot of excitement about this device. It is a real radical new design against the backdrop of this smartphone market where overall growth is really ground to a halt, where replacement cycles are lengthening. I did catch up briefly with a longtime tech analyst, Bob O'Donnell of Technalysis Research. He was here today. He had some questions about the device. He had questions about the software. Does it really work seamlessly with that new hardware as advertised? Of course, if it didn't, it wouldn't matter how creative and innovative the hardware was. Um, then, of course, is the price point. If you want this phone, it's going to cost you $1,980. I asked O'Donnell about that. He said, listen, it's obviously a luxury product. He does, though, at the end of the day, think there's going to be a fair number of people who are going to want it. Finally, we should remember, of course, you know, it's not just Samsung pursuing this technology. Others are, too. Other tech giants, you can think of the Chinese vendors like Huawei and Xiaomi, also aggressively pursuing this foldable smartphone tech, Mel. Josh, have you actually tried this foldable device? And is it such where's the screen, there are no visible hinges? It's not like a laptop that's mini that you open. Is it more like a, an actual screen that's continuous and you fold that in half, like a piece of paper? Yeah, so they made a lot of, uh, they emphasized on, on stage a lot about that hinge, which is so critical, and why it was critical to try to create this seamless uh, device, this seamless experience. Unfortunately, um, they did not make that de device available today in the demo room, Melissa, so we didn't get a chance to take that for a test drive just yet. And you can only fold it in half right now. How many times? That's why I saw it. What you're, do <laughs> you're, you're going from... 4.6, enough in, in your hand when unfolded to 7.3. Is it heavy? <clears throat> Again, Mel, I, I didn't get the chance to, to give it a test drive, so uh, right. tough for me to have too much insight about that yeah. just yet. Hopefully, I'll come back. Maybe Samsung will let me, and I'll be able to give you that info. I hope so. Josh, thank you. Josh Lifton at the Samsung event <clears throat> in California. I do want it to fold more than once. For 1900 yeah, I was about to ask you, why do you want more bucks? than once? Well, I want to be able to fold it into folds. I mean, Mel's looking for folds. I think the real so question to me is, I, 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 know that, I know Josh brings up a luxury 
phone, right? And I'll, $1,980. Yeah. Now, what is the reasoning behind why somebody would think that they need that luxury? And, and what is the market for that? That's the, okay, here, I mean, I have here, questions right away. Here's, top of my- here's a use case, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you live on your phone and you don't have a computer, you may want a larger screen to view documents yep. or a spread. Like, that might make that phone a little bit more functional, sure. but still have the, the small size. You can stick it in your pocket. I just look at it still. When you talk about price point, we talk about Apple, and everybody was so angry at Apple on that most recent release of all the different models, right? And they talk about a $900 phone, $1,000 phone. Mm-hmm. Samsung just released, I know they have more technology right now, but $900 phones, $1,000 phones, $1,890 phone. I mean, this is a lot, and I think that's something, I mean, you talk about this all the time, but I mean, you have really limited yourself when you talk about certain price points, I think, when it comes to all these various devices. Well, and, and to be clear, I mean, when Samsung, Apple gave their, their downgrade of guidance and their, their, essentially how they were looking at their holiday season, Samsung was down 32%. So, I mean, yeah. Samsung was significantly yeah. worse, and they're a more diversified company, and they're, but they also had the semis exposure. So that's part of the reason it sold off. Guy. That's why I have my iPad here, my handy-dandy that iPad. Pulls. I don't got to fold anything. Mm-hmm. I gotta fold that nothing. Folds? What do you mean? You can fold that right now. No, but that the iPad is separate from the keyboard. It's the keyboard <laughs> yeah, it's, it's perfect. Obviously. Is that folding your eight-track tape player? <laughs> just is, is this all about having a Samsung product that's a aspirational product to have a, a an umbrella effect on the brand? Oh, that's a. I, I, mean, I that that could nobody, be it. You don't need to sell that many of those. Right. It's just that they have it. It's they in a lineup. It. Wow, Samsung's. Cool. Mel wants folds. I don't know. She wants folds. She wants I want to be able to make a crane out of it. Give her some folds. All right. <laughs> Still ahead, Walmart seeing a big reversal today after the stock ripped on earnings earlier this week. Is the turnaround a warning sign for the retail space? We will explain. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the reversal in Walmart. The stock jumped to within 2% of its all-time high yesterday on the back of an earnings beat, but today's downturn could spell trouble for the retail trade. Dan Nathan is over at the Plasma to break down the options action. Hey, Dan. Yeah, hey, Mel. So XRT, the ETF that tracks the retail sector, um, saw a ton of put activity today. It was four times average daily volume. And there was one large trade that kind of caught my eye. Large in contract terms, not exactly in premium terms, but it was a bearish roll when the XRT was trading 45.63 shortly after noon. A trader sold to close 15,000 of the uh, March 44 puts at 39 cents and buying to open 15,000, the same quantity of the March 41 puts, paying only 7 cents for those. What's interesting about that, though, is obviously uh, as the XRT kind of found some resistance today, this trader is possibly rolling down for some protection as we head into really the bulk of uh, retail earnings over the next few weeks. So this looks like a trade to cover um, that a little bit. Um, you know, I just want to make one point. You talked about Walmart. You know, you guys don't think I watch the show when I'm not on. Last night I was watching you guys talk about Walmart. Nobody seemed particularly enthusiastic about what went on there. And when you think about that stock and the big gap that it had and the reversal closing on the low, and then today, look at this two-day chart filling in that entire gap. That is horrible, horrible pricing action. Look at the one-year chart of this thing um, a little bit. It shows this gap. It got within 2% of the all-time high that it made uh, back in November. So today, closing really on the lows here, um, this is a kind of nasty head and shoulders setup, in my opinion. It should have rallied on good news, and it didn't or didn't for very long. And then that takes me back to this XRT. Look at all of these earnings that are coming up in the next two weeks. You know, when you think about what Walmart just printed here, the best 
top store sales in a decade, um, you know, and it couldn't really get going. When you look at some of these other names, I mean, are they going to materially outperform what Walmart just put up here? So to me, I'm not expecting a great deal of follow through for some of these names that have run a lot. And here's one last point. Here's the one year chart of the XRT. Look at this downdraft and look at the reversal here. The most of its gains, you know, it's been an up in step with the S&P 500, but most of those came, uh, gains came in the week um, after Christmas and the first week of January. And since then, it just kind of consolidated here. It just broke out. So if you don't think that all of those names that are reporting in the next two weeks are going to be good, then you want some protection in the XRT. You know what, Dan? Why don't you come on over? Whoa! Whoa. Whoa. Is there even a chair for me? Yeah. Yeah. Shelby will bring the chair in. Okay, thanks. He always has the oh, chair. That was exciting. Really a pleasure to see you. Peter Matt. It's a heck of a sport. Yeah. Nice job. That, did that really catch you by surprise? Yeah, I was, that Dan was going to come over to the desk. Send usually? Him, see you that's, later. Yeah. That's scary. ABC. Is this another case of, of positioning? I mean, for the retail trade, will we see possibly good earnings or decent earnings and bad price action simply because the XRT is up 11% so far this year? I think so. We talk, I'm shocked. For, first of all, I'm happy that Dan was watching the show last night. Yes. And he's right. I think we were all somewhat. Uh, weren't impressed necessarily with the price action. Stock obviously opened on the highs. Walmart closed towards the lows. We said valuation is a bit of a concern. I think that bears the reason what happened today. Pete will say the pairs trade is target against Walmart, and I would agree with that. So I think Walmart does the back and fill here, and the fact that we didn't take out 2018 highs to me is alarming. I mean, do you, do you expect? Yeah. So let, let me just tell you what I think. I think the most important thing of this whole trade right here, and I think it's actually a, kind of a positive thing for the market overall, is that, you know, the XRT had that bounce. It was just a two-week bounce. It's consolidated. It actually waited for some earnings, right? It's waiting for it. It didn't kind of get ahead of itself here. So to me, I actually think that Walmart could be as good as it gets for the next few weeks uh, or the next few months for retail. And we've been talking about this a lot on the desk. If Home Depot, if Target, if these guys can't outperform, where's retail going to go from here? Yeah. Karen, where do you stand? I, I mean, I'm long some retail. Uh, so Foot Locker tonight announced some good news. I'm long Macy's. That, I think, expectations are so low there. I think they were a lot higher for Walmart. But So I don't know what to make of it. Long Target, long Foot Locker, long. Dan, thanks for coming. I see you, Dan. There you go, Dan. See you all really good stuff. See you really tomorrow. Good stuff. For more action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. <laughs> Up next, Final Trades. for the final trade. Pete. I love the earnings momentum. It got sold off. Canada Goose, baby. This thing's going up, 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 up. Giddy up. Tim. So Brent and Crude, whichever one you call, trade seven straight days higher. You've had a technical breakout. Oil services, I think you stay there. Slumber JSLB. Chairwoman. Yes, I want to stay long, but it's quite a run we've had, so you got to buy some S&P puts to protect your portfolio. I like that goose thing, by the way. I know you do. You do some investigative reporting on that subject. Win. Roll them bones. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.